Today is the 23rd of August, 2022, and this is part two of um, throwing out the four false views. And this is a teaching from the Diamond Sutra, uh, just by way of introduction to the sutra, a little bit about its, its title. I'm reading here from a book called Zen and the Sutras by Albert Lowe. The Diamond Sutra is called in Sanskrit the Vajra Chedika Prajna Paramita Sutra. And the last part of this name clearly places it in the Prajna Paramita tradition. It's a, the Mahayana tradition of, of sutras from around, um, around 200 uh, AD. The full translation full translation of this name would be diamond cutter of supreme wisdom. The word Vajra can be translated as thunderbolt bolt, or as diamond. In this instant, it is translated as diamond or diamond cutter. The diamond is the symbol of reality because the diamond, like reality, is indestructible. It is a cutter because with it, one is able to cut through all delusions particularly the delusion of being separated, isolated things. Thus, the particular aspect of reality symbolized by the diamond is shunyata, or emptiness. And this is what we're hearing from Thich Nhat Hanh uh, in teaching this sutra is to, to cut away, to throw out these four false views that cause us so much pain and suffering. And the main text that we'll be reading from is called Zen and the Art of Saving the Planet. And it's actually a um, compilation of Thich Nhat Hanh's writings uh, put together by his um, students his senior students, um, really as a, in an attempt to address um, the burning issues that we face today. Here's what they say in the introduction about what those issues are. In this very moment, we face a potent intersection of crises, ecological destruction, climate breakdown, rising inequality, exploitation, racial injustice, and the lasting impacts of a devastating pandemic. The situation is beyond urgent. In order to face these challenges with the best we've got, we need to find ways to strengthen our clarity, compassion, and courage. Cultivating a strong training in meditation and mindfulness is not an opiate to escape what's going on, but a way for us to truly still the mind and look deeply in order to see ourselves and the world clearly. From this foundation of clarity and insight, 
will be able to take the most appropriate effective action to transform the situation and create a regenerative culture in which all life is respected. And this, this, this that was um, Sister True Dedication, who's one of um, Thich Nhat Hanh's most senior um, Sangha members. So we can understand this teaching on the four false views as a strategy, especially for increasing our clarity, for freeing us from some of the uh, unnecessary suffering we undergo because of our false views, um, and helping us to become better equipped to um, respond appropriately or at least not to add to the planet's problems. These four um, false views, just for anyone listening who maybe hasn't heard the first talk, uh, thinking that we, we have a self, uh, uh, especially a separate self, thinking of ourselves as human, humans, as opposed to non-humans, um, thinking of ourselves as um, living beings, as opposed to non-living beings, inanimate things, and thinking that we have a um, a particular lifespan. In other words, we we are born and die. So we'll take up this teaching more or less where we left off. We just got into the first of the the four, and we're um, so then the notion of self. And we're in a section entitled, Who Am I? Suppose a wave appearing on the ocean asks herself, Who am I? If the wave has some time to get in touch with herself, she will find out that she is the ocean. She is a wave, but at the same time, she is the ocean. And she is not only this wave, but also the other waves. So she sees the connectedness, the interbeing nature between her and the other waves, and she no longer discriminates between self and not self. It's very important that the wave realizes she has a wave body, but she also has her ocean body. When the wave recognizes her ocean body, she loses all kinds of fear and discrimination. We could say that when we really, really see this, deeply see it, then we, our, we replace our self-interest with, we could say, other interest in a genuine way. This other that is not other.
it's not that we're not individuals. We're, we, each of us um, are utterly unique. But, but to lose sight of the fact that we are what we are because of the, we, uh, the inter-support of all the other beings in the universe is uh, to live in a very cramped place. And to have gratitude for all those um, so, so-called non-self elements that we are made of. We couldn't live without water. We couldn't live without food, without air, without parents. Or even very mundane things. There was two or three years ago. There was uh, I heard an interview with um, this guy who had undertaken. He was a journalist, and he'd undertaken a project to as a way of exploring interconnectedness, really, and the nature of the world we live in. His his project was to make a toaster from scratch. You think a toaster is not a very complicated piece of equipment, it's got an element and, and, and dials on it and places for the bread and so forth. But it turned out to be an extremely difficult project. You can say the whole, the whole kind of economy has to be in there behind that toaster. All kinds of resources. But we, we lose sight of this so often. We, we can get caught up in sense of, of individualism, clinging to our sense of being uh, sovereign unto ourselves. So this, we can understand our, our practice as, as allowing us to recognize our, ours, he puts it, his, our ocean body. And with that, we, we, our fear and discrimination weaken. He says, this is the goodness of meditation. It can help you touch your roots and free you from discrimination and fear. If you believe that you have a self separated from your ancestors and the cosmos, you're wrong. There is a you, but that you is made up entirely of non-you elements. If you live mindfully and with concentration, you will touch more and more deeply the truth that is in you. And one day you will find that you are resting on the ground of the cosmos. In Christianity, they speak of resting in God. When the wave is resting in the ocean, she's at peace. When you are resting in your cosmic body, you're at peace. And if you practice walking meditation, every step can help you touch that cosmic body, that ocean body that makes you immortal. You are no longer afraid of dying. 
but many of us are too busy and have no time to breathe and to walk in order to get in touch with our cosmic body, our true nature of no birth and no death. We talked in the last in the last talk about these um, eight no's of the middle way, these pairs of, of dualistic concepts that we we um, get hung up on. And the first of these is is no birth and no death. The others are no permanence and no dissolution, no coming and no going, no one and no many. To, to destroy, to see through these ideas is release, nirvana, it is said. He continues, meditation can be very satisfying. You are searching for yourself. You are searching for meaning. And meditation is to have time to look deeply, to listen deeply. When you do that, you can get in touch with your true nature and you release all fear and discrimination. When we, when we can get a sense that our, our, this body of ours is in, in a sense a kind of figment of our imagination, we, we dream this body into existence and then we attach to it. And that's where our, our fear arises. Attachment to, to who we think we are. The, in the uh, film, The Matrix, one of the, the key kind of elements of the story is that when um, the, the lead characters realize that their, their um, bodies are not re real and it gives them enormous power and um, able, to, able to respond completely fearlessly because they know that they're not really their bodies that they're in. There's these just sort of mental projections. The next section is headed Deep Ecology. The second notion the Diamond Sutra tells us to throw away is the notion of human being. We know that Homo sapiens is a very young species on Earth. We arrived very late and yet we behave as if we're the boss here. Um, humans have been around just about a million years and that's within a world that is about 5 billion years old and a, and a universe that is about 13.8 billion years old. So really we are latecomers to this scene. Though not, not the, the youngest of all species in, on this planet, um, Polar bears have only been around for 72,000 years. And, and this is an important point is made by, by uh, Brian Swim, the cosmologist, in his writings, 
that we we have had in the past, or humans have had, a, uh, this, note, this thought that we are the pinnacle, the 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 apex, the apex of of evolution. But evolution is still going on. It's new species are being turned up. So that's just another part of our kind of. Uh, pride in thinking that that um, our sense of entitle entitlement that we that we're we're somehow special and at and at the, the top of the 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 mountain, so to speak. We arrive very late, and yet we behave as if we're the boss here. We believe ourselves to be exceptional. We think we have a right over everything else and every other species, as though they have been created for us. Um, this is actually, of course, what is, is um, said in the Bible, that, that creation is for the use of, of human beings. With this view, we have done a lot of damage to the earth, we want safety, prosperity, and happiness only for humans at the expense of everything else. We could, we could have a whole Taisho on its own about um, animal experimentation and to what extent that can be justified, and yet we do it pretty indiscriminately. And yet, looking deeply, we see that humans are made only of non-human elements, including plants, animals, and minerals. Not only historically, but in this very moment, we continue to interbe with all the non-human elements within us and around us. It's very clear, without minerals, plants, and animals, how can there be human beings? If you remove or return all these elements, a human being cannot exist anymore. And yet we seek to protect and defend ourselves by destroying our non-us elements, including other species. We really... Um, so blind to this this interrelationship we have with all things and and often really acting in 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 deeply ungrateful ways rather than cherishing our interconnections In daily life, we need to use words to identify and define things, but it's not enough to live like that. In contemporary logic and mathematics, they still use the principle of identity. A can only be A. A cannot be B. But the Buddha proposed that when you look deeply, you see that A is not only A. A is made up of non-A elements. Humans are made only of non-human elements. Humans are made of all our ancestors, the mountains, the river, the rose, the planet, 
are all made of non-mountain, non-river, non-rose, non-planet elements. When we can see that, we are free. Human and mountain are only labels, designations, without any real substance. They don't have a separate existence. This is the sword of dialectics of the Diamond Sutra. A is not A, and that is why it can be truly A. This is this, this statement that he has here, A is not A, and that is why it can truly be A, is a kind of refrain throughout the Diamond Sutra, which it kind of just destroys all our, um, the, our cherished terms, def definitions, and at the same time revives them as well. Uh, the, the Heart Sutra is a little bit like this too, with all its negations. No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. No color, sound, smell, taste, touch, or what the mind takes hold of. Just maybe give you give everybody a little a little taste of of the way it presents in the Diamond Sutra. The first time these these four notions or, or views, false views, are mentioned in the sutra um, is when um, Subhuti, who's, who's the um, main questioner in the, in the sutra, um, asks the Buddha, World-honoured one, if good men and good women seek the consummation of incomparable awakening, by what standards of judgment should they abide, and how should they control their thoughts? Buddha replies, Bodhisattvas should discipline their thoughts thus. All living beings are caused by me to attain unbounded liberation nirvana. By me, he means by the Buddha. Yet when vast, innumerable, immeasurable numbers of beings have been liberated, not one being has been liberated. Why is this? It is because no bodhisattva who is a real bodhisattva cherishes the idea of being a self, being human, being living, or having a lifespan. And so again and again and again we come back in the sutra to these, these four um, closely held views that we have which, which are mistaken. A is not A, and that is why it can be truly A. This, um, this teaching appears in, again and again in our uh, koan curriculum. The koans really are, in a sense, um, words designed to help us to go beyond words. Words used to help us to let go of our ideas, our notions. Um, example, example of this is, is in the Mumon Khan uh, 44. Basho says, this Basho's staff is the name of the Khan. If you have a staff, I will give you one. If you have no staff, I will take it away from you. 
And then the commentary said, it helps you cross the river when the bridge is broken down. It accompanies you when you return to the village on a moonless night. But if you call it a staff, you will go to hell as fast as an arrow. Words limit. Words solidify what is actually limitless and insubstantial and flowing. We chant an affirming faith in mind. When you assert that things are real, you miss their true reality. But to assert that things are void also misses reality. Of course, void in this example is a word. Men and women are present in all things, and all things are present in men and women. There is a mountain in us, do you see? There are clouds in us, do you see? It's not only that we were a cloud or a rock in the past, but we are still a cloud and a rock today. In former times we were also a fish, a bird, a reptile. We are human beings, yes, but at the same time we're everything. Seeing this, we know that to preserve other species is to preserve ourselves. This is interbeing, the deepest teaching of deep ecology. As, as, as well as, as um, uh, having been a bird and a fish and a reptile in our distant past, we are still all of these. Um, I couldn't recall the name of it, but there's an actual science of uh, studying the way we develop in the room, the womb, um, that mirrors our evolution. Um, in fact, the uh, somebody was telling me that we have a vestige of a fishtail at, at the base of our spine. And, of course, the human form, the, the, the vertebrate form, was invented by fish. They were the first ones, the bony-finned fish that, we, that um, came forth in this in this. Uh, skeletal form that is, is shared by all the, in, of the vertebrates. In the, in the Zen world, they say, before practicing meditation, I saw that the mountains were mountains and the rivers were rivers. While practicing, I saw that mountains were no longer mountains and rivers were no longer rivers. And after practicing, I saw that the mountains were really mountains and the rivers were really rivers. Or we say sometimes with this third one, the mountains were mountains and the rivers were rivers. When we practice, we have to um, see clearly the way we label things and the way that limits the things we label. And then... So we give up uh, uh, the labels, the signs, and that giving up, letting go, enables us to 
to directly experience the mountains and the rivers. And in seeing things this way, we, we, we free ourselves. And at the same time, we free, free those things themselves from, from us, from our limiting thoughts. He continues, I know ecologists who are not happy in their relationships. They work very hard to protect the environment and it has become an escape from their partners. But if someone is not happy within themselves, how can they help the environment? That is why to protect non-human elements is to protect humans, and to protect humans is to protect non-human elements. The inside of interbeing has the power to wake us up. power to wake us up, and also the power to enrich us, our lives infinitely, to broaden and deepen our, our sensitivities, our appreciation for uh, the mystery and wonder of existence. Next section is headed, Life Has No Limits. The third notion we have to break through is the notion of living beings. Many of us are caught in a distinction between sentient or animate beings and non-sentient or inanimate matter. Yet the science of evolution tells us that we have not only human and animal ancestors, but also mineral ancestors. To separate out living beings from the inanimate world and make a divide between them is incorrect. We are made of non-sentient elements, the speck of dust, the elementary particle, the quark. They are us and we are them. We need to transcend the notions of body and mind, matter and spirit, consciousness and material world. Let's just to, um, look at these, at these three, body and mind. In Zen we say, Body and mind are not two. They're deeply intertwined. Our, our experience is conditioned by, by our senses and our intellect. The world that we experience is uh, different from the world experienced by a horse or, or a fly with its massive compound eyes. Completely different universe. Brian Swim talks about uh, our, our awareness bringing forth multiple universes. We need to transcend the notions of body and mind, matter and spirit. The people who have any any um, familiarity with the um, history of of uh, Christianity 
will know that the the uh, Western view of things is 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 particularly pernicious for the environment in that we we divide matter and spirit, separate them from each other, see them as opposites. Matter, dark, dead, inferior, even evil at times, and mostly female, and then spirit, superior, male, full of light, and and the ravages of the the of uh, patriarchy come out of this this separation and all the the horrors of colonization too that we would, would human beings would not see other human beings as human at all and be and um, massacre many many indigenous people or, or massacre their, their culture through uh, trying to save them, thinking that one's, one's duty was to save them, as was the case with missionaries. The third one that he mentions here, transcending notions of consciousness and the material world. We, we, the assumption is that these are two profoundly different things and the among many uh, materialist scientists, the, the idea is that, that consciousness is somehow an epiphenomenon of matter, that, it's, that, it, that in some way it emerges, emerges out of um, matter at a certain point in history. And, and there's a before consciousness was around and an after, but this, this is not the way that we see it in Buddhism. You could say that consciousness has is, is been there all along. Um, that everything, uh, even rocks, have their own kind of, of, of subjectivity. There's a, uh, um, a video series came out about I think about 1990 by by the cosmologist Brian Swim. It's called Canticle to the Cosmos, and um, I, these are from notes I took when I saw these these uh, videos. So they may be um, a paraphrase of of the. Um, import of this, one of these uh, series of, of videos. This one's called Feast of Consciousness. And um, the, the, the notes I have go as, as follows. The universe is not dead. The discoveries of quantum physics undermine this fundamental delusion that has plagued Western thought for the past 300 years. It is now self-evident that the entire universe has a psychic dimension. 
the light and matter of the primal fireball cannot be viewed as merely physical, since human consciousness comes out of them. Physicists have discovered that we cannot nail down the nature of anything. The way in which we examine something determines what we discover about it. Human consciousness is not a picture of a fixed world out there, but comes from an interaction that elicits a particular response. Everything is multivalent, mysterious. Everything is a multivalent, mysterious treasure that is activated in different ways by different sensitivities. We think that the world we see is the world, but a hawk, whose sight is eight times stronger than a human's, lives in a world that, in terms of what it sees, is richer than ours. Radical humility is absolutely essential to our times. We are destroying our planet because we think we know what it is. We have lost sight of its infinite depths. In the conviction that we know what matter is, namely inert stuff to be fabricated into throwaway goods, we are destroying the earth. The truth is that the universe is a psychic event, blossoming in as many forms as there are sentient beings to interact with it. Sentience is not restricted to humans and, and animals. A leaf, a rock, or a mountain have consciousness without ego. We're so attached to this notion of ego that we can't imagine that it be a, can be a consciousness without ego. But um, he means here uh, subjectivity, sensitivity, and interior life it may not be as, as, as developed as... Um, it is in higher beings, but still there's a sense of interior, a mystery to uh, all things. Scientists of our time have discovered that even photons and electrons have their own intelligence. It is no less than consciousness. They are not inert and lifeless. A kernel of corn has its own way of knowing. You just plant it in the soil and within 10 days it knows how to sprout and go on to become a towering maize plant with leaves, flowers and cobs. The so-called inanimate things are not so inanimate. They are very alive. If we think of a rock, what's the subjectivity of a rock? Well, it's, it, in its life it is uh, subject to all kinds of forces. And, and a geologist looking at the, that rock can see the impressions that, that have been left in that rock by those forces in its shape and its, its structure. Suddenly the, 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 the so-called problem of consciousness disappears when we um, recognize that the consciousness was there right from the very beginning, from the time of the fireball, the beginning of the universe. You can also translate the term living beings here as mortals. We discriminate not only between living and inanimate, but also between what is living or mortal and what is holy or immortal. So the, the, the phrase you've often read in the sutras is, is sentient beings versus Buddhas or mortals versus Buddhas. We have a tendency to discriminate between living beings and holy beings. 
The meditation here is to look into yourself deeply and realize that you are made from non-you elements, including the element of holiness. We must remove the notion of a living being as different from a non-living being or an enlightened holy being because that notion creates so much division, discrimination and suffering. This is the teaching, the revolution of the Diamond Sutra. We can, if we read about great holy beings, saints, like Ramana Maharshi or, or um, Dalai Lama, others, and we can think that they're somehow of a different order of being. But they, 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 even the Buddha was uh, an ordinary human being. He continues, when we look at the earth in the light of this insight, we don't see the planet as inert matter, but as a sacred reality that we are a part of. Seeing in this way, our attitude towards the planet will change. We'll be able to walk with steps of love and respect on the earth, and we'll realize our great capacity to help. We'll walk with, with reverence. You may believe that you are only this body, but you are much more than this body. To meditate is to see that you're also over there and there and there, everywhere. Your nature is non-local. This is a, a, a nice way of putting it, that our nature is non-local. And just our time is running out, so just touch on the last one. As well as being non-local, we are non-temporal. The fourth notion the Diamond Sutra teaches us to remove is the idea of a lifespan. We believe that there is a moment in time in which we are born, and there's another moment in which we die, and we think we only exist between these two points. This is to be caught in the idea of a lifespan. We think we are only on this earth for a very short moment. We have the impression that we came from the realm of non-being into being, and after staying in the realm of being for perhaps a hundred years, we'll pass back into the realm of non-being again. Then he tells the story from one of the other sutras of, of the Buddha asking, um, how long does a lifetime last? And one, one monk says, a oh, hundred years, and a mother says, 20 years, and the other says, one day. And then finally someone says, the length of a single breath. And the Buddha concurs that that is how frequently we're being reborn in every breath. Each moment is a complete rebirth. So on that note, we will stop here and recite the four vows.
All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to change all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma Endless flying passions, I vow.